What's the name of the town again? Codacook. Codacook. That's it. Uh, it's like a uh, coat and then an E and then cook. So yeah, C-O-A-T-E-C-O-O-K-E, I, I believe. Yeah, but it's spelled C-O-A-T-I-C-O-O-K. Oh, yeah. It's got a weird, it's um, a Mi'kmaq Indian name. That's why. Or oh, okay. maybe not Mi'kmaq. It's an Indian, uh, yeah. When you get into uh, the more rural places of um, of uh, Canada, there's a lot of places that have these old Indian names. So, like where yeah. I grew up, there was like yeah, yeah, uh, Miramichi, Miramichi and uh, Cobequid and yeah, northeast uh, uh, northeastern um, uh, uh, United States has a lot of those too. Yeah. Oh, what was the one I heard the other day names. was uh, Shibugamu. That's one in Quebec. It's one of my favorite names now. There's a town called Shibugamu. Our, Why our aren't we living there? there. <laughs> that must be a twenty-four my, my, hour. My photography teacher. Oh, sorry. That must be, there must be a twenty-four hour party there. Oh come on! You're getting <laughs> shitty in Shibugamu every weekend. Every weekend. <laughs> I have a map. Enough, you know. We, we'll we'll do some more uh, banter, but I have a map of rude place names of North America somewhere, and I've never put it up. Oh, nice. Canada has most of them. Oh, yeah. Well, there's Dildo in Newfoundland. I'm yeah. very well with that. Yeah. yeah, I always wanted to go there. I, I did go to... Um, <laughs> Paul took me through um, Crapo. Ooh. C-R-A-P-A-U-D. Crapo. Crapo. <laughs> in uh, PEI. Nice. On the way to... His, yeah, I think um, PEI's got a few funny ones there, too. And then uh, I'm trying to think if there's any in... Uh, in Nova Scotia, but yeah, no, there's just, there's, there's some good ones that you, you pass through and <laughs> my dad knows a lot of them. I remember he was telling me a couple, but I forget. Them. Which intro should we use? Well, I'm not going to use the anti-ETH one because this isn't a UFO show. <laughs> um, and I don't use, you know what? I'm going to use the old school one. The very first one I ever did, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. The old one. Let me see. Tell me if you can't hear. Is that the one with the grip one? No. It's just plain. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls How who do survived you... this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Alfred Hitchcock, and this is Music to be Murdered by. It is mood music in a jugular vein, and I hope you like it. 
Our record requires only the simplest of equipment, an ordinary phonograph needle, a four-inch speaker, and a 38 caliber revolver. Naturally, the record is long playing. Of course it is. Even though you may not be. So why don't you relax, lean back, and enjoy yourself until the coroner comes. <laughs> <laughs> so dramatic. Yeah. Well, I figured there. I, I want to have some of these drop-ins throughout. So. Um, oh, nice. Oh, well, you got a couple. I'm back again. We're back again. Uh, one year, almost around one year, after we did the original uh, Halloween show, where I had my friend Courtney O'Hearn here, who's with us again. Hello. 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 <laughs> and uh, happy Halloween. Yes. Salmon. Yeah. The the most wonderful time of the year. Mm-hmm. She's one of the few people I know that has one the passion for it, and two, and more importantly, the taste. Uh, for this kind of stuff you know she's the only person where i I will bow to her taste which is one of the very few people where she can pick the coolest stuff courtney is the guest and she will go first so what do you got first for us for the for 2018 halloween running mysterioso well i know we usually do our stuff kind of chronological but uh i i heard this one song and i just oh it just spoke to me it had to be the intro song it's a song uh by this london punk band called action pack that's packed, P-A-C-T, as in like a pact with the devil. There's also some exclamation points thrown in there as well. They're uh, London Punkers from 81. Uh, just some fabulous uh, names on the uh, band members, too. I just had to mention this because it was just too cool. So it was like started by a guitarist named Wild Planet. Uh, he, they had The original singer was called The John, uh, but he left. And then they got a 15-year-old uh, punker girl named George Cheeks uh, to replace them because she was the only one that was brave enough to come up and scream along with the band. And they had a drummer named Joe Fungus, who was eventually replaced by another guy called Grimly Fiendish. So just some wonderful 80s gothy names on these characters. And, uh, and this, this is a badass tune. It's called Gothic Party Time, 1983, from Action Pact. Okay, let's see how that one sounds.
There we go. Gothic party time with, oh, there you go. There's Courtney. With uh, action-packed PACT. I kind of did a little preamble there before, but um, yeah. yeah, no, I don't think they've got to be a particularly huge band. Um, I think one of the things that I ended up reading about them was that um, they didn't, even though they, the sound was very gothy, they sort of dressed in all different styles and just kind of did their own thing. They didn't really fall into the whole fetishy gear thing uh, that uh, kind of got popular with the Sex Pistols and uh, and with like Club Sex there or whatever, the, the Malcolm McLaren uh, fetish store that, that got everyone decked up in leather and bondage. They were kind of really more about the sound than the look, and they were saying that in one article that that's probably one of the reasons why they didn't get as big as some of the other bands at the time. And then that their lead singer, George Cheeks, like, yeah, she was, uh, you know, she would dress, but she wasn't, you know, apparently like, you know, pushing out her, her, her boobs or, you know, trying to overly sexualize. She just, you you know, wore her natural style and and didn't really go for the whole like uh, sex kitten fetish look, and so that's probably another one of the reasons why they had a lot of respect on the scene. But um, uh, unfortunately, that was not uh, as marketable as some other uh, people who were dressing a little more scandalously. But uh, anyway, now we know about them. Action Pack, go check them out. They've got some good stuff. Okay, we'll go and back to. So we go back to 1911. With some band called the American Quartet, which I tried so hard to look up, but I bet it, it was just some <laughs> studio bunch of dudes that just did this song. However, it was written by somebody somebody named Percy Winrich, <laughs> who was a songwriter whose career lasted um, from 1903 to 1926. Quite a long career for a songwriter. And music changed a lot between 1903 and 1926. Period, yeah. So Percy Winrich did pretty well. And yeah, no, this is this is a uh, 1912. This we're talking about over 100 years old. This song, this is yeah, uh, yeah an oldie but a goodie. They got the thing wrong on face. I'm sorry, excuse me, on uh, YouTube too. It's actually 1911. When I was looking this up, it was oh, released wow. January 11th, 1911, was when this uh, 78 RPM recording of Skeleton Rag was released. So let's hear this. Make you shake and feel a don't it make you wake and feel a 
from 1911, January 11th, 1911. Your turn, Courtney. Okay. Well, I actually, I'd taken this off my list because I think we, we both had had it on there, and then I think we both cut it, but I threw it back in there because I, I love it too much, so I have to keep it in here. Uh, so this is from 1932. This is Leslie Cerrone. Um, was born in Surrey in 1897, uh, and this guy got his start uh, at the age of 14 on stage. Uh, he went on to do a bunch of like uh, wartime review shows in his life, musicals, variety shows, and then he became quite well known on the radio. And actually, you'll like this, Greg. Uh, one of his uh, major hit songs was a song called Jollity Farm, which was later covered by our yes. favorite band, the Hanzo Dog Doodah Band. I have uh, a recording so yeah, of that. He also did one called Miser- yeah. Misery Farm, which is funny. Aha, nice. I have to hear that one sometime. But um, yes, so he uh, had, uh, oh, sorry, uh, this is from 1932, Ain't It Grand to Be Bloomin' Well Dead. Trouble, grief, and strife. There's not much attraction about this blooming life. Last night I dreamt I was blooming well dead. As I went to the funeral, I blooming well said, Look at the flowers, blooming great orchids. Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? And look at the coffin, blooming great handles. Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? I felt so happy to think that I'd popped off. I said to a bloke with a nasty yakking cough, Look at the blackers, blooming great horses. Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? Look at the bearers, all in their frock coats. Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? And look at their top hats, polished with guineas. Ain't it grand to be blimey both dead? Some people there were praying for me soul. I said it's the first time I've been off the dole. Look at the mourners, blooming well sozzled. Ain't it grand to be blimey both dead? Look at the children, blooming excited. Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? And look at the neighbours, 
bloom it delighted. Ain't it grand to be bloom it well dead? Spend the insurance on murmured for a lack. You know that I shan't be with you going back. Look at the missus. Blooming well laughing. Ain't it grand to be bloom it well dead? Look at me sister, blooming you at on. Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? And look at me brother, blooming cigar on. Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? We come from clay and we all go back, they say. So don't aim a brick, it might be your Auntie May. Look at me grandma, blooming old a bag. Ain't it grand to be bloomy wounded? Ain't it grand to be blooming well dead? Blooming well dead. Yes, that is a <laughs> a charming accent he has there. No, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah. Last little side note too. Um, it said this guy largely had his um career based in radio and, and on uh, records, of course. But then towards the 80s and uh, 70s and 80s, he kind of started making TV appearances. And he has one film cameo uh, in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. He is oh. one of the elderly insurance clerks in the Crimson Permanent Assurance Company. Oh, so, wow. uh, yeah, Ernie uh, has a couple of cool ties there to Bonzo's and, and Python as well. Wow. Thank you for that he research. Around, yes. <laughs> and it, you hear that it's like, oh, well, he probably died in like 1940. That, that's great that he was in the money in uh, Meaning of Life. We were talking about this uh, while the song was playing. There is no, uh, we we skipped over a lot of 1940s. I think we kind of slathered the 1940s in uh, in, in the last uh, in our last year's um, escapade. Yeah. So and there's plenty in there. Oh yeah, no, I had a nice Bing Crosby one that was kind of jazzy and. Like I, Bing Crosby is always my voice of Christmas, so it was kind of neat to see that he had like some Halloween ones there too. But there, yeah, so there was there was a lot going on. But I think we just ended up going straight to the fifties there. So that's fine. Well, we there's can, a uh, there, there's a nice include more next in years. Yeah, there's <laughs> a nice transition. Nice transition here because the guy I'm going to play now was a big friend of, of Bing Crosby's. Oh, okay. There Apparently, we go. I guess he worked with him on. Um, he had a show called The Bing Crosby Show in the, I think, in maybe the 60s or something like that. And this guy was on okay. it. Phil Harris. Um, oh, yes. Uh, Phil Harris was born in Linton, Indiana in 1904. Grew up in Tennessee. So he had a little bit of Southern accent. He would joke about that. I, th- I think he had a big hit uh, called I'm from the South. I think it was based on that, a, a novelty song. His parents were circus performers. His father was a tent band leader and gave him his first job as a drummer with the circus band. <laughs> oh, so most people want to run, you know, grow up and run away to the circus, but he probably wanted to run away to just a, a normal. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to run away to the, you know, to the to the to the widget factory. Um, <laughs> he was uh, he was a band leader and co-star for many years with Jack Benny on his radio show, and oh, cool. he started a film called. I love a band leader from 1945, where he played a house painter who gets amnesia and then starts to and then uh, starts to lead a band. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. great. <laughs> that actually sounds really good. There's a lot of like amnesia films back then too. I've got a couple. There was like My Man Godfrey's one of my favorites, but there's a lot of these movies. Where people just, it was a very uh, popular premise. <laughs> popular trope: the amnesia film. 
maybe we should do a show on that sometime. There uh, we go. He also spent time in the 70s and early 80s. God damn, he was almost like 80 at that point. He was born in 1904, leading a band that appeared uh-huh. often in Las Vegas. Um, here's a good one. He also worked as a voice actor for the animated films Robin Hood. Uh, these are all Disney films, the Aristocats, and provided the voice of Baloo the Bear in the Jungle Book. Oh, yes. That's actually one of my favorite uh, soundtracks. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't have a lot of like Disney records, but that one, no. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, classic. Yeah. The only other voice I remember from that is... Uh, 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 who pl- who played the um, the orangutan? Was um, oh damn it, Louis Prima. Oh, oh wow, jeez. No, you know what? I, I watched that movie when I was a kid, but I wouldn't have known who that is. But nope, that is absolutely right. That is Louis Prima. Yep. Yeah. Huh. Phil Harris died in 1995 of a heart attack at his home in Rancho Mirage, California, right next to Palm Springs. Apparently, he's buried in Palm Springs. However, in 1950, he recorded. I don't think he wrote this, but he recorded a song called "The Thing." Um, and I've played it before, I think, on my show, and I love it because it never names the, th- the scary thing that he's talking about. It mm. was also covered by other people, including Teresa Brewer, who I have a couple songs by. But uh, this is Phil Harris's version of The Thing. <laughs> I was walking down the beach one bright and sunny day I saw a great big wooden box a-floating in the bay I pulled it in and opened it up and much to my surprise Ooh, I discovered a right before my eyes Ooh, I discovered a right before my eyes I picked it up and ran to town as happy as a king I took it to a guy I knew who'd buy most anything but this is what he hollered at me as I walked in his shop oh get out of here with that before I call a cop oh get out of here with that before I call a cop I turned around and got right out of running for my life and then I took it home with me to give it to my wife but this is what she hollered at me as I walked in the door. Oh, get out of here with that. And don't come back no more. Oh, get out of here with that. And don't come back no more. I wandered all around the town until I chanced to meet a hobo who was looking for a handout on the street. He said he'd take most any old thing. He was a desperate man. But when I showed him the, he turned around and ran. Oh, when I showed him the, he turned around and ran. I wandered on for many years, a victim of my fate. Until one day I came upon St. Peter at the gate. And when I tried to take it inside, he told me where to go. Get out of here with that. And take it down below. Oh, get out of here with that. And take it down below. The moral of the story is if you're out on the beach and you should see a great big box and it's within your reach, don't ever stop and open it up. That's my advice to you. Cause you'll never get rid of them. No matter what you do. Oh, you'll never get rid of them. No matter what you do. The Thing, 1950, from Phil Harris. I always loved that song. <laughs> Courtney's turn. So, uh, oh, uh, let's 
see. So my next one that I had lined up is uh, Salty Holmes from 1954, the goat song. This is Floyd Salty Holmes, uh, the country singer from Kentucky. Uh, he got a start in a couple of uh, Western B films as well, too. He befriended uh, Chet Akins, who got him started in a couple films. Ah. Um, he was a, a musician and known for his, in particular for his harmonica skills, particularly this talking harp style that he did that uh, Sonny James was quite famous for. Um, and yeah, when I was listening to the song, I was thinking like, Jesus, 54, like, I wonder if they used any special effects on it to get the voice like that, because it sounds very, very, uh, creepy. There's a very, very creepy voice going on here. Um, and yeah, it wouldn't have been a time where there would have been a lot of digital, you know, a lot of, um, manipulation, but anyway, there, I found a video of him on YouTube and he's performing this with his wife, uh, Maddie O'Neill Holmes. They're on the Grand Old Opry. And he's doing all the voices himself. He just has this like incredible, uh, incredibly versatile voice. He's doing all the sound effects, everything from the wind blowing to the cat yowling, and this incredibly, incredibly creepy ghost voice. So this is uh, the ghost song from 1954. Dark and stormy night Not a star was in sight In a graveyard by a church way up on the hill <laughs> Well, the ghost come out to play And then the thought I heard one say I've got you, I'll keep you, I'll always will I'm gonna keep you where I got you For you the one that shot my great-grandpa <laughs> Oh, now I told you I would get you Oh, if I saw you, now I got you For you the one that stole my great-grandma <laughs> now on that very same night Now that old tomcat started a fight And this is the way it all did sound to me Now, you know, I couldn't stand there. I didn't like them cats, and you should know that. Didn't like them ghosts either, so I looked down at my feet. I said, feet, now come on, do your duty and carry me home. But that old ghost looked up to me and said, I got you where I want you. I'm gonna keep you where I got you. For you the one that shot my great-grandpa. <laughs> I told you I would get you. Oh, if I saw you now, I got you. For you, the one that stole my great <laughs>
Ghost Song by Salty <laughs> yeah, he's Holmes. Yeah, terrified. Kids telling them uh, bedtime stories because those voices are just <laughs> freaky. I love what you were saying there, though. He does. He sounds a bit like uh, like Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's being haunted by the ghost of Popeye, apparently. And he's eating some evil spinach. My next song. next? Yeah, it's actually um, strangely almost, I don't know, appropriate or um, you, gave me a, you gave me a great, great transition song. Um, Grizz Green, who was a um, composer and recording artist. However, um, for many years, he was actually a, a miner in Arizona in the 1950s, I guess 40s and 50s. He never made any money. So he decided to, he decided to stop being a, a miner, and I guess his dog died. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a song about that somewhere. He does actually have a song about his um, dog. It's it's called My Dog Rover, <laughs> and how he helped him find gold and stuff. I guess his dog was named Duke, but Duke, I don't know. I guess Duke never helped him find any gold because he had to go into showbiz. Uh, that's that's where he found his just gold. Named it for the song. Couldn't find anything yeah. anything good that was Duke. <laughs> When I was looking him up, there was a album that was released in 1980 called Grizz Green and His Orchestra. I don't know, because I think he was dead by then. Oh, I, I wow. couldn't find really any information on Grizz Green. This song is from s- probably 1958, 1960, somewhere in there. Jam at the Mortuary. Uh, he has a song, uh, 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 an album called The West of Yesteryear. Um, with a bunch of songs about Arizona and about mining and about the OK Corral, and they're they're wonderful. And he he basically talks through most of them. Um, I believe he talks through Jam at the Mortuary too. It's it's ever so lightly distasteful too, which I like. Um, so this is- <laughs> well, he does look rough around the edges. I'm just looking at a picture there. He's got the big burly beard and yep. the tattered clothes. He looks very very minor. They're very rough around the edges. Is that the, is that from the cover of um, uh, the West of Yesteryear album? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, he looks like uh, like he's out panning for gold or something. Yeah, he, I guess he really was. So when he sang about it, he knew whereof he sang. So this <laughs> is uh, this is his um, uh, Halloween song, "Jam at the Mortuary." Grizz Green. It was feasting time at the mortuary. All the corpses were gathered there. Some were proud in their elegant shrouds, and some were cold and bare. When do we ask the gaunt one fair, as she smiled with a vacant stare? When the moon is high in a cloudless sky, said a skeleton standing there. I'd like some hearts to set a miser old, cause my wife had a heart. You Indian giver, for her body you have sold. My love liver cried a witch in a dither, and she combed the bats from her hair. There's enough for all, said a vampire doll, on the dissecting table there. A monster sobbed that he couldn't eat, as he held his head in his hands. I lost my head in the vampire's bed in Vegas at the sands. A mummy stood in a case nearby. He heaved the most unearthly sigh. You talk like a corpse with a broken head. 
I cannot eat because I'm dead. So you can't eat, you dried up lush. Screamed a witch, why don't you hush? A hippo stew is our delight. We'd rather eat she shrill than fight. The beautiful corpse of a woman fair sat in a casket across the chair. Let's all have noodle soup, she said. I'm simply wild about chopped head. A group of vampires moan disgust. This eating stuff is not for us. For we are blue bloods through and through. So give us blood a quarter to. Why it screamed the monster tall. Just a bunch of deadbeats all. We must not fight. Here comes the light. We'll have to feast tomorrow night. <laughs> always just delightfully like i said uh, in in slightly bad taste and his voice is just his voice just makes it uh jam at the mortuary by grizz green that was great any song that ends with a great big howl as well too <laughs> <laughs> that could be a signature thing but yeah my next one uh, we're continuing on these themes of uh of dead men uh, i've got the rebels dead man stroll from 1959 uh, the Rebels being a doo-wop group from Philadelphia. Mm. Uh, so they released this song in September of 1959, and it was, again, like aimed at the Halloween market, and it landed them a number 30 spot on the chart, and right. it actually got them an appearance on American Bandstand. But apparently, Dick Clark didn't like the name of the song, and he forced them to change it uh, to Midnight Stroll. Uh. So that's... Uh, there you, I know, that's terrible. Like Dick Clark, he's great for New Year's, but Halloween, total party pooper. Yeah, um, lived up to so his yeah, name. They... It's the name of the song, and it's a Halloween song. How are you gonna? But apparently, it creeped him out. So, so you might find singles of this that actually go by the name of Midnight Stroll as well. But the original song is Dead Man Stroll. So that's the version I'm presenting to you here. And yeah, they had uh, that was about as famous as these guys ever got. They attempted, I think, another sort of like novelty esque uh, song about a crazy Chinaman called Fu Manchu. Very uh, politically incorrect by today's standards. Yes. Uh, and it, and thankfully for them, probably it didn't get a, uh, it didn't catch on and get on to be as big a hit as Dead Man Stroll. Um, so yeah, they they attempted to break into the market. They never really got the success that they did with this song. So they broke up in '64. But I think they got back together sometime in the '90s just to do some revival tours and oh. make some television appearances and get a little bit. So there was a little bit of later day success, which is nice to hear. But yeah, uh, yeah this is this is a, a sassy, sexy doo-wop tune from from '59. Quite fun. <laughs> Thank you. 
Dead Man's Stroll by the Revels. Yeah. I love that laughter in there. It's just so sinister and crazy. I was saying it reminds me of um, that Boomtown Rats uh, hidden track at the end of Fine Art of Surfacing. I don't think it has a name, but it's uh, the one that, that's not funny. I'm not laughing. And then there's this maniacal laughter. But, uh, yeah, you got a, a killer, creepy laugh like that. I'm glad it was uh, recorded for uh, posterity. It was a very good track. Mm-hmm. I love that one. N- nice new nice new find by Courtney. Like I said, she's got the ear. <laughs> Uh, you cannot do a Halloween show, I think, without having Screamin' Jay Hawkins. And I found... Ah, from laughter to screaming. <laughs> it's what? I said from laughter to screaming. That's a perfect segue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're good at this, Two sides of the same <laughs> coin, I think. Um, mm-hmm. m- what most people know is that, you know, Screamin' Jay Hawkins was the guy that would appear on stage with the bone through his nose and the, and the you know, and the skull with the, with the cigarette in it and the whole bit and the you know, mm-hmm. leopard skin... That uh, apparently after a while, like you would expect, he got sick of that um, and was yeah. kind of pissed off because he, um, at first he wanted to be an operatic singer. You oh, know what? Really? Yeah. I, I did a little bit of research, which it's very little in this day and age because I just looked it up. Um, <laughs> well, I did not know that. Yeah. Screamin' Jay was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Studied classical piano as a child and learned guitar in his 20s. His initial goal, goal was to become an opera singer. Because he said that uh, one of his heroes was Paul Robeson. Um, When those ambitions failed, he began a career as a conventional blues singer and pianist. He joined the U.S. Army in 1944 and entertained troops as part of his service. After leaving the Army, he returned to music and boxing. He was an avid and formidable boxer. In 1949, he was a middleweight boxing champion of Alaska. Uh (laughs) <laughs> in 1950. It's all the, the area that you're representing. Yeah. <laughs> like, less competition in Alaska? Or? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure you're I don't <laughs> know. There are probably some people out there. You know, a bunch of, uh, there, there's tough yeah. dudes out there. When Hawkins became a solo performer, he often performed in a stylish wardrobe of le- leopard skins, uh, red, red leather, wild hats. Of course. I Put a Spell on You ah. was released in 1956. Oh, here's the story. We're not going to hear this, but it's, it's very closely related to I Put a Spell on You. There, I, I thought this was fascinating, the story of um, how um, I Put a Spell on You was recorded. According to, according to the story, he envi- Screamin' Jay actually envisioned this tune as a refined ballad. The entire Ooh. band was drunk during a recording session um, where Hawkins was drunk as well. Scream grunted and gurgled his way through the tune with, with utter drunken abandon. The resulting performance was, was no ballad, but instead a raw guttural track. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm snorting about that became the greatest commercial success, his greatest commercial success, and reportedly passed a million copies in sales. Um, though it failed to make the R&B, Billboard or R&B, uh, pop R&B charts. What a, what a surprise. I wonder what was going on there. The performance was mesmerizing, although Hawkins himself blacked out and was able, unable to remember the session. <laughs> Afterward, he had, um, he had to relearn the song from the recorded version. <laughs> wow. Um, meanwhile, the record, over. yeah. Meanwhile, the record label released a second version of the single, removing most of the grunts that embellished the original performance. This was in response to complaints about the se- recording's overt sexuality. Nevertheless, it was banned from radio in some areas, even because of this. This song, mm-hmm. "There's Something Wrong with You," I believe, was recorded the same year. Or no, wait. Yeah, yeah. It was recorded a couple years later, 1958. It's called "There's Something Wrong with You." It uses the exact uh, chords and you know basically this almost the same arrangement as "I Put a Spell on You," but 
uh, to me, when I hear the song, it's like, uh, I guess he, he like got the girl, but then he figured out that he didn't want her anymore because the song called, <laughs> it's called Something's, There's Something Wrong With You. And um, it's, it's an incredible, I mean, it's, like I said, this is now my, it's my favorite Screamin' Jay Hawkins song. It might be my favorite song right now. Had it been for me, you'd have still been in Miami, Florida singing for Peanuts. <laughs> what you? I'd be swimming in the swimming pool right now. Bald elephant is smothered in spokane. Buzzing elbows and chitlins a la king. Steam hot alligator foots with dumplings. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. Something missing someplace somewhere. Fingers and mosquito pie. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> God, I think we're gonna have to open up a, a Screaming Jay Hawkins themed diner. Yes, and we can serve monkey toes and strain beans and uh, big barbecue gorilla wrists and a dish of cow fingers and mosquito pies. That all sounds <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Yeah. That would be awesome, though. Be like a big restaurant. Like the entrance would be just like his mouth and that scream, and you would just walk in. I, I think that would be <laughs> a fine let's, establishment. Let's do One it. One day when I get my million. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to skip ahead here, actually, in one of mine. I'm going to go because it's a good segue uh, to Natasha. From, uh, this is from an album called At the Monster's Ball by The Vampires. But The Vampires was uh, just a, a, a phony name. This is actually uh, Milton Delug, who is very well known if you're into the whole novelty mm -hmm. uh, record spiel. He's done quite a few numerous uh, novelty records. And he was just, uh, he did a lot of things all over the place. He was um, a composer working in L.A. He did um, a bunch of theme uh, songs for a lot of radio and a lot of TV shows, everything from the Miss America Junior Pageant to uh, he did the theme music for What's My Line. Um, and the reason I wanted to segue this is because he is one of the co-writers 
of Under an Orange Colored Sky, and that oh. is my favorite Screaming Jay Hawkins song. Uh, he his version is just it's it's just the best. He goes uh, off on at the end, but it's still rather tender and beautiful. And so he manages to keep it uh, true to the original form. Um, yeah, a slight variation on the Nat King Cole. I'm just gonna say they're, they're, the 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 two stand out is quite different. Um, but yeah, he also produced like Buddy Holly's hit Rave On, and he wrote uh, the theme music for um, uh, a song called Hooray for Santa Claus. Very yes. catchy. Uh, for uh, the cult Christmas flick, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. So yes. Maybe we can throw that into our Christmas show. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is from um, 1964, the same year as Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. And this was a Halloween LP put out called At the Monster's Ball. And this is the, yes, the song called Natasha. Natasha. Dimitri. Natasha. Dimitri. Natasha. Dimitri. Natasha, Natasha. Dimitri, Dimitri. Natasha. Dimitri. Natasha. Dimitri. Oh, Natasha. Oh, Dimitri. Natasha, Natasha. Dimitri, Dimitri. Oh, Natasha. Natasha. Dimitri. Dimitri. Natasha. Dimitri. Natasha. Dimitri. Natasha. Dimitri. Dimitri. Natasha. Natasha Oh, Dimitri Natasha that this is sort of like a play to on a, a Friedberg song? Yeah, um, uh, John and Marsha. Uh, oh, the nice. entire thing is just act- two people saying oh, Marsha and, you know, John, Marsha, John, Marsha. <laughs> it goes, it's like five minutes, John, Marsha, you know, stuff like that. It's it's great. Nice, nice. <laughs> I was saying I, I kind of done, um, I think it's like an improv exercise too that they teach where you just, you get one word you have to repeat, but you have to use various intonations and you have to have a conversation, which is like the one word. So it's a good example of that. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of fun. Little little crazy uh, 60s um, <laughs> ditty in, in between there. Yeah. So what's, your, what's your next one? It's um, it's listed as Thurl Ravenscroft, but it's not because whoever put it up on um, YouTube got it wrong because it sounds amazingly like Thurl Ravenscroft, who I posted about uh, the other day on our group. Um, mm-hmm. 
uh, he, he was voice of Tony the Tiger saying it's everybody knows him for the Kellogg's Cornflake saying it's great. That's uh, Thurl's mm-hmm. Ravenscroft voice. But he had a long and storied um, uh, recording career. However, this is not who is on this recording. Uh, ah. Children's Day at the Morgue. We, we will deal with Thurl Ravenscroft soon enough, um, maybe next year. But I wanted I wanted to put this one up because it's just it's it's an example of um, silliness from the night from the nineteen actually it's uh, it's this is nineteen sixty one but we can jump between fifties and sixties here. Why are all the good Halloween songs from the nineteen fifties and sixties? What is up with that? Listen, and the best monster movies like Monster Mania took over. It was a wonderful time for for all things ghoulish. Yeah. Um, I'm a little saddened that it's, uh, <laughs> although it's, I have to say the eighties, like, you know, I grew up, there was some wonderful, uh, options True. available as well. We had kind of a, a veer into spookdom as well, but, um, but no, this, that was, that was probably peak, peak creepy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you just sound like an old <laughs> person. That's all you like. Yeah. Looming impending doom of, uh, atomic warfare had people in a, in a morbid mood perhaps. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 That's probably, that's you, you <laughs> probably, it is a glorious time. Yeah. You probably hit right on. Details. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, the, the penchant for, um, for a dark humor was uh, probably straight mm-hmm. from that, uh, sense of, uh, doom and, and hopelessness that uh, was kind of underlying all the night, all the great stuff apparently that was going on in the fifties and sixties. Sheldon Allman. Sheldon Allman was born in 1924, uh, yeah. died in 2002 out here in L.A. He is buried in a cemetery about five miles from me, and now that I know that, I'm going to his grave and visiting. Oh, you have to take me next time I'm there. I would oh, love to see most that. definitely. Yeah. We got to go to we got to go to more cemeteries. We only got we only did the one. Yeah. He he had a few nuclear scare songs too, didn't he? You, I remember yes. you sent me on one of the first takes that you gave me was uh yes. What was the name of that one? Uh, uh, Radioactive Mama, Crawl Out to the Fallout. Crawl Out to the Fallout. That one I love that song. I, yeah, that's I, from, I love flipping on and get a few uh uncomfortable laughs from people who are just thinking it's a typical kind of like yeah <laughs> 60s song oh wait, yeah it starts weird. right right Utterly. in with it yeah well crawl out through the fallout baby when they drop that bomb yeah and he does it in such okay. a like uh, uh overdone um you know lounge singer uh <laughs> you, had, you had a good voice. lounge voice yourself there that was fantastic <laughs> That was folk songs for the 21st century, which is just is just studded with great song. This is from an album from 1961 called "Sing Along with Drac," <laughs> uh, which was uh, another Hollywood you know novelty record, just like Delugs there that we just listened to. That preceded Bobby Boris Pickett by like a year. Um, Ooh, yeah, it's uh, it's I think Bobby Boris Pickett uh, Monster Mash was 62. Allman's original concept was to spoof Mitch Miller's sing-along albums, apparently. But he had a really great gift for uh, writing novelty material. But um, I I think in this, for most of this record, he just kind of speaks over most of it. Uh, I think he's, as as I remember, this actually does have him singing. He was not bad. His singing voice was not bad. He went on to write the television theme songs for Super Chicken and George of the Jungle. (laughs) 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 He also co-wrote two comedy horror-themed stage musicals with Bobby Boris Pickett. One called I'm Sorry the Bridge is Out, You'll Have to Spend the Night. (laughs) And its sequel, Frankenstein Unbound, another monster musical. (laughs) Oh, nice. I'm going to revive. I would love to see those. Yeah, um, one of them was made into a movie. I can't. I didn't. I did not write down the name of the movie. The 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 Frankenstein Unbound Monster Musical is actually made into a, a film. 
this one, which is straight out of that 1950s dark humor thing, is called Children's Day at the Morgue. Uh, yeah, Sheldon Allman. I mean, I, you could not record this now. It just wouldn't. It wouldn't go. But this is uh, Sheldon Allman. <laughs> Nothing for the whole family. Yeah. Open the doors and let all the little ones in. Don't make them wait. It's a happy time there. After today is Children's Day at the morgue. Look at the smiles and red rosy cheeks. Here they come right through the gate. Hear the sound of joyous laughter. Today is Children's Day at the morgue. I love to see them at play, but it moves me to tears. Have to be sure that they don't take away souvenirs. The little dears, there will be ice cream, candy and cake and balloons. Don't you be late, come along and bring the family. Today is Children's Day at the morgue. them at play but it moves me to tears have to be sure that they don't take away souvenirs the little dears there will be ice cream candy and cake and balloons don't you be late come along and bring the family today is children's day i say it's children's day hurry it's children's day at the mall I, I would actually have liked that as a child, but I was a weird kid. Uh, <laughs> especially if that guy was given the tour. If I had to follow around a big lurch-looking dude with a deep voice that was given the guy to tours, like you, you, you never would have got me away. Uh, <laughs> me too. I think that actually my happened. Next, uh, track uh, was shortly after yours. I think we're still hanging out in the '60s here, so I got this little um, track uh, from '66 by the, a band called the Denim. Uh, they were a Queens, New York garage rock group, uh, active in the mid-60s. They only had about a half dozen singles, uh, but this one was an interesting one. This is the, the Ghost in Your House is Me. And I just, I just, it stands out to me because uh, not only is it a ghost song, but it's also one of these uh, teen tragedy songs, which I'm rather fascinated with. Oh, yeah. We were just talking about the, the, that morbid sort of sensibility uh, of the 50s and 60s. And this is definitely a, uh, an example concrete of, uh, you know, that, that particular zeitgeist. So you had uh, the teen tragedy song. I have a little excerpt here from like, uh, Wikipedia, actually, I'll read out. Yeah. The teen tragedy song is a style of ballad in popular music that peaked in popularity in the late 1950s and early 1960s. Examples of the style are also known as tearjerkers, death discs, or splatter platters, which is just... Uh, uh, often lamenting <laughs> teenage death. <laughs> uh, no, come on. It's, it's, uh, it rhymes. It's flattery. It's uh, awesome. It's there, there, there's there's another lament- band name. Oh, yes. That would be a great band name. Go ahead. Splatter, 
Uh, yes, yeah, so often lamenting teenage death scenarios in a melodramatic fashion. The songs were usually sung from the viewpoint of the dead person's sweetheart, as in Last Kiss of 1964, or as a witness to the tragedy or the dead or dying person. So examples of this would be Teen Angel by Mark Dining in 1959, Tell Laura I Love Her by Ray Peterson, Ebony Eyes by the Everly Brothers, Dead Man's Curve by Jan and Dean, mm. and Leader of the Pack by the Shangri-Las. Oh, yeah. And the genre's popularity, it faded around 1965, um, uh, for one reason, because of the British invasion, but also because I think it just got kind of overdone. And so uh, you can kind of tell this because towards the end, there was actually a lot of uh, parodies. Yeah. Uh, of this particular yeah. style. So there was there was a great one done by Matt. I love the title. It's called uh, All I Have Left is Johnny's Hubcap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. And then, uh, of I course, want my another, baby back uh, was another reference. Uh, Death Cab for Cutie was actually a parody of this style. So That's another right. another time I get to mention Bonzo's twice in one night. Victory. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just a little bit of a fan. Uh, so, yeah, so this is, uh, I can't, you know, the, 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 the great thing with this song is that it may actually even be a satire, because this is 66, so this would have been towards the end of it. Uh, it sounds fairly serious, but it is a little bit laughable, the content. Not only did I die, and you're kind of responsible for my death, but, girl, I'm going to haunt you. So this is this is the <laughs> Denim's uh, teen tragedy uh, ghost song, The Ghost in Your House is Me, from 1966. <laughs> You and I didn't get along so well And I got into my car Fastened my seatbelt Turned on the ignition switch and I took off And you laughed, child <laughs> Real funny Yeah. 
my turn. I have no idea who these people are. I like the song a lot. It's from 1963 or so, three or four. Jim Friss and the Valiants. The Valiants, all I could find out were they were a band from Chicago. <laughs> There's yeah, your there, there are bands. Huh? <laughs> there are bands, that is all that there is, you know? There's just a label with a little information and not much else, but. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's amazing what you can find, but sometimes you can stump the internet. And Jimmy Frizz, 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 and the and the Valiants um, did stump the internet with this uh, one uh, uh, Halloween-themed uh, love song, Serpents and Spiders, 1963-4, somewhere in there. <laughs> Frizz, Frizz, F R I S, and the Valiance with Serpents Freeze. and Spiders. I think, it, I think it's pronounced Frizz. Frizz, thank it's you. High school. I went to high school with some with some Frizzes. I believe it's a like a Dutch or whatever, but it's Frizz. Okay, thank you, Jimmy Frizz. <laughs> Your turn. So yeah, we're gonna go from some kind of surfy, groovy. That guitar was delicious on that track. Mm-hmm. Um, I got uh, a nice little country esque kind of ditty here by Boomer and Travis. 
From 1967, um, this is um, Owen Boomer Castleman. Uh, he's from Farmer Branch, Texas. Um, he paired up with a guy named Michael Martin Murphy in the 60s, and they had ah. a pop group called the Lewis Clark Expedition, which I've heard of um, before I kind of stumbled onto this track. I didn't know it was the same people. They did a pop album in 67 for the uh, label Coal Gems, uh, the same label that released The Monkees. And right. it's said that that's probably got the deal because they were actually good friends with another Dallas native, one Michael Nesbitt. Ah. And apart from Bonzos, apart from the Bonzos, The Monkees would be my other big band obsession. So yeah, I, <laughs> I had to throw that little pitch in and he, yeah, this guy, he invented the palm pedal, a device that allows guitar players to execute pedal steel style string ba- uh, bends. Um, and he made the original prototype. That's another famous thing that this guy did. And then, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a cute little song with lots of cool wordplay. It's from a 67 mystery film by Norman Jewison, uh, In the Heat of the Night, starring mm-hmm. the very fabulous uh, Sidney Poitier. And it launched the whole sort of um, Captain Tibbs uh, character. Uh, they went on to do like two other sequels to this and, a, and a, I believe a TV show as well. Um, so yeah, this is foul. So it's kind of neat knowing that this comes from a, a murder mystery because it's got a bit of a sinister, uh, you can read into it about, uh, being someone sort of bad, being up to no good, but of course with a lot of bird puns. So yeah, this is foul owl on the prowl. All you little birds better lock up tight. Cause there's a foul owl on the prowl tonight. Hey little lark, get out of the dark. Foul owl on the prowl Cute little Jay, stay out of his way Foul owl on the prowl You just might be the quail he'll tail Foul owl on the prowl You just might be the swallow he'll follow Foul owl on the prowl If you hear him hoot if you pass his tree, flee If you catch his eye, fly Don't wait to say goodbye He's got a yen for a pretty little hen Foul owl on the prowl He's hungry for a chick, so get home quick his tree flee if you catch his eye light don't wait to say goodbye he's got again for a pretty little hen foul owl on the prowl he's hungry for a chick so get home quick foul owl on the prowl We're just sitting around drunk one day and came up with that. Let's write a whole song. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful, though. I like the the wordplay. 
and yeah, the country draw, definitely a cute one. Mm-hmm. So what do we have next? From the um, Monster Rally album, I'll jump back slightly, 1959, might as well have been the 60s. Um, uh, <laughs> this was a uh, album that was put out, it was one of those uh, Halloween novelty records, I think, that was put out. A composer would come up with a bunch of funny songs, and they'd hire studio musicians, and they'd get a singer or two or something like that. This was Hans Conried, who was, God, he was in so many things. My favorite thing that Conried was in was The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Oh, yes. He played Dr. Terwilliger in the... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he was was Dr. Terwilliger, and um, if you look that up, The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T on... um, YouTube, you can find some scenes from it. It's it was um, it was oh. written and basically art directed by Dr. Seuss, and it looks like it. Um, uh, I haven't seen it since uh, I think I was in film school actually, so like in like the early two thousands, and someone brought a copy in and we watched and we were like, this is just amazing the production value. But I'd have to rewatch yeah. it. It's been a yeah. while. Yeah. Um, so and all the other um, actor actress on here was Alice Pierce. Who uh, played? Who did she play? Uh, Pierce. Uh, she actually she died like in 1966, like about f- what six years after this album was made. Uh, she played the nosy neighbor Gladys Kravitz on Bewitched. <laughs> for oh many my years. gosh! So that's right. that's her big. That's probably where a lot of people know her from. Um, the, neither of them are on this track though. There, there's a few other tracks on here. There's one about uh, um, somebody parking a flying saucer in the wrong place that Hans Conried does, which I love. Um, this one, however, is, is called Mostly Ghostly. I think, did I put this on one of the early things I gave to you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you know this one. <laughs> yeah. So I would not credit the uh, Hans Conried and Alice Pierce with this song, but um, they were basically the stars of the album. This is just, a, I think it was a um, studio, uh, studio band put together by, you know, some New York producer, and it was uh, released in 1959. Mostly Ghostly. Beautiful song. He finds himself endeared to a girl who's kind of weird. You see, she's most Sensation falls fastly, ghastly. The way she floats on air and walks through walls. Indeed, she's mostly ghostly. Try to kiss her and she'll vanish into blue. Mighty, flighty. It's hard to say just when she'll reappear on a broom. Other girls I've known were simply tingling, just another standard pretty face. But this one haunts me so, I daren't let her go. It's so thrilling, really chilling, when we share a brief embrace. Because she's most ghostly, ghostly, what a mystic thing to have her on my arm. Thank you. 
day with her is Halloween. <laughs> that song was used at the Bob Baker Marionette Theater, um, as has been used the last few years, as the song that a, um, a marionette uh, uh, act is uh is performing to. They actually find a lot of these songs from the 50s and 60s and do um, a Halloween show based on uh, uh, weird songs they find and they pair them up with the strange puppets they have and they do a whole marionette show. It's like an hour or hour and a half long. Then afterwards in the in the other room they serve um, cake and ice cream. Oh my god, that sounds delightful. <laughs> I, would, I would totally go to that. That's it all is. my favorite things. Marionettes, marionettes and, uh, and creepy Halloween songs. Yeah. It, it is a it is a wonderful outing. Um, so cool. Anyway, you're yeah turn. very big very big uh, marionette and puppetry culture here as well in, in Montreal. It's oh quite, yeah, uh, that's right. An old, an old school art, but still quite beloved, and you see it quite quite frequently. Still, uh, still some cool shows going on. So yeah, moving along, my next one. We're going to take it uh, to Jamaica, a little bit of horror reggae with King Horror. Um, I looked this guy up. It took a little bit of tracking down at first because apparently there was a couple other people that had again, like um, there was uh, Thurl's Ravencroft uh, track there had kind of mislabeled or sort of thought that it was someone else. But we, I finally figured out that uh, that uh, King Horror is actually the alias to one uh, Laurel Aiken. Uh, Laurel Aiken is also known as the godfather of ska. Uh, he was born in Cuba originally, a uh, mix of Cuban and Jamaican ascent, but his family settled in Jamaica in 1938. Uh, and he had some early successes. Uh, he was singing Mento songs for the Jamaican tourist board. And Mento is a, a Jamaican folk style that actually predates ska and reggae. Uh, and then he went on to record some other singles that were hits in his own homeland. And then his 1958 single, Boogie in My Bones, and then the uh, flip side of that was Little Little Sheila, actually, Boogie My Bones would have been a good Halloween one as well. Yeah. Uh, but this was the fir- this was the first uh, Jamaican popular music record to be released in the United Kingdom. So it kicked off that whole uh, new ska and, and mod wave that was that was to come. So he re- actually relocated in UK in 1960 uh, just to do some recordings uh, with a particular label. But then he returned back to Jamaica in 1963, and because of even that little stint uh, hanging out and recording and, and playing in the United Kingdom, he developed this devout devout following amongst uh, the West Indian community in particular, as well as a lot of the mods, skidheads, and the uh, ska fans. So yeah, he. Uh, in addition to his myriad, if you look him up, this guy had uh, a ton of recordings. But he also did this kind of side project called King Horror, and it's all um, just uh, horror theme songs. The first one I believe was called Dracula, Prince of Darkness. He did another one called The Loch Ness Monster. There's another one called The Hole. But the one I decided to go with uh, was this one from 1970. This is uh, Frankenstein from King Horror. Um. Frankenstein, the man-made monster, who was buried alive 300 years ago. I'm here from the dead to destroy the universe. Frankenstein.
I was just saying to Greg uh, during the break there, yeah, I just recently saw this amazing meme online and it, someone just took a picture of the last page of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein um, and then they wrote in in pencil. As he drifted away, I could just make out his final words. It's okay if you just call me Frankenstein instead of Frankenstein's monster. I really don't mind. The end. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I am a horror enthusiast, and that is one of the classic points of contention. Yes, yes. But, yes. Uh, if I had a dime for every time someone actually... Um, well, you yeah. know, actually. <laughs> Shut up. Don't be that Don't be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, All right, I, what do we got next? We will continue with uh, with the uh, ska theme. I am a huge ska fanatic. Uh, you probably know that. Mm-hmm. Desmond Decker, uh, born 1941, yeah. died 2006. Ska, rock, steady, reggae guy. Um, uh, he started in the early 60s, and finally by 1968, he had his big hit, Israelites, which everybody knows. Israelites. Yeah. Israelites. Yeah. Oh, love it. Yeah, I love that song. <laughs> Uh, I think Drugstore Cowboy gave him a new lease on life because that's what played over the end credits, I believe, in Drugstore Cowboy. Oh, yeah. That's another one. Yeah. His other big hits were um, uh, Shantytown, 007, It Make, and You Can Get It If You Really Want, which is a wonderful song about um, getting your life together and just saying, I want to do, do that thing, and then doing something about it. It's a very inspirational song. However, mm-hmm. this one is inspirational if you're into horror because it's called Dracula. <laughs> but the funny thing is, it's not. It, it's it's about a girl that he says is a Dracula. Beware, she is, she is a Dracula. <laughs> so it's being used as a what a a um, an adverb uh, adjective adjective <laughs> instead <laughs> of a noun. <laughs> so this is he said the, a Dracula. No, no, I like that. I like that. I could catch on. Yeah, I believe me, I've known a few. I've known a few. Oh, I have two <laughs> men and women sucking the energy right All off right, you. Desmond Decker, Dracula. Uh, uh, uh.
She is a Dracula. She's a Dracula, or just Dracula by Desmond Decker. Um, I, one other thing about Desmond Decker: we had tickets to go see him, and we forgot. Ah. Uh, uh, and then he died three uh, months don't, later. Don't think. Uh, yeah. So now that's a joke around the house. Every once in a while, one of us uh-huh. will say, "Cigarette," or I will say, "Guess what? We forgot." And your heart sinks. <laughs> like what? What? I'm just joking. But that time we really did forget to go see Desmond Decker, and uh, I will eternally be um, sorry about that and, and ashamed. And, oh, anyway, heartbreaking. But, yes, but at least there's a nice legacy. We can still play his tracks. I have to say, it is a beautiful voice. I do do quite enjoy my Decker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're gonna go from uh, dr- nasty Dracula women to uh, voodoo queens. I got uh, a track here from 1974. By Bobby Bear. I actually swapped this one up. I had this on my list, and then I was going to switch it up. There's actually quite a, a genre of Louisiana Swamp Witch music. Mm. Uh, there's, uh, I mean, there's clearly a lot of lore, so of course songs are going to be made, but there's like Charlie Daniels has a, band, has a song. Jim Stafford does Swamp Witch, which that was my song that I was going to do because I, oh my God, we get a chance to look up Jim Stafford Swamp Witch, or we'll put it on next year. I was very tempted to because... It was, out of all the Swamp Witch songs I heard, uh, as far as the style, it was my favorite. However, uh, as great as it was, the Marie Laveau, the, the true life story, is just so fascinating. So I, I had to swap it, up, swap it back to my original choice. They're both in 74, the Stafford song in this one. But, um, yeah, this is uh, based on Marie Laveau. This is a very fascinating story read of New Orleans. 
mm-hmm. the real life character. Um, now, of course, because of you know uh, mythology and because you know she was uh, sort of a controversial uh, uh, birth, being um, born to a uh, plantation owner and his mistress. So there's not a quite sure date on when she was born. Any anywhere between uh, 1794 and I've even heard up to 1801. But she was the illegitimate, uh, illegitimate daughter of a plantation owner, Charles Laveau, and his mistress Marguerite, who was purportedly half black and half Indian, and purportedly also dabbled a bit in the uh, Voodoo which is the uh, New Orleans sort of French version of voodoo uh, that they have going on down there. So, um, yeah, Marie Laveau, at the age of 25, she married another, uh, what was called at the time, a freed person of color. Uh, This guy was a carpenter named uh, Jacques Perry, and they had two kids together, and he went missing. Um, And she uh, told everyone that he had died, and she started calling herself the widow Paris. Um, and it's possible that he died. It's also possible that maybe he just abandoned them and, and ran off, which people would do at the time. But uh, she might have been too proud to admit that. So instead, she just went with this story that he was dead. But it wasn't uh, a, a tragedy. Uh, she soon after met uh, this uh, Louisiana man of uh, noble heritage and birth, Christophe Galpion. Um so he was a white guy. He was very noble. Uh, he went on actually to be uh, the mayor of New Orleans, I think, believe in 1812. And they had, they banged out 15 kids. Well, sorry for the term bang, but they, they <laughs> had, had 15 children back to back at the time. And they lived together for 30 years, but, um, but they were never married because at the time uh, interracial marriages were illegal. Yes. So uh, they, she uh, had this long career uh, kind of leading up into that. She had been a uh, hairdresser. And she had reportedly learned a bit of uh, voodoo from this character, Dr. John. Not the same New Orleans uh, piano singer, clearly no, he got his no. name from this actual real-life character. Mm-hmm. But this guy was a, a, a voodoo uh, practitioner named Dr. John, a.k.a. John Bayou. And then she established herself as this New Orleans voodoo queen. And she used to sell these little things called a grigri, which are these um, uh, little voodoo amulets for protection. And she would cast love spells, yeah, they're, they're put bags with on stuff people. In them. Generally, just getting herself involved with all the local ongoings. She was a hairdresser, so some people were, some people argue that maybe she wasn't actually, you know, this supernatural character. That maybe she just heard all this delicious gossip from going to all these rich people's houses, and you know, all the the, the wives telling of all the family secrets and all of their affairs and all of the family business. And so maybe she, you know, all of her clairvoyancy and premonitions was based on the fact that she was up in everyone's business. Uh, it was as often said that there wasn't any secret in any household in New Orleans at the time that Mary Laveau didn't know. And so, yeah, she uh, would hold these, like, great big parties. Uh, you know, people would come black and white, and they would all dress in completely in white, and they would chant and sing and leave offerings of liquor and food to spirits. She did, as I said, this practice of voodoo, which is it's, uh, it's voodoo, but it's also mixed with sort of Catholic elements. She would bring in, like, you know, uh, the names of saints and actual prayers, probably not to, you know, scare the white people so much uh, and make it a little more, more accessible, but she kind of mixed a little bit of Catholicism with her voodoo. And she just... She established herself as this loved and respected figure. Everybody came to her. They had, you know, she was able to work herself up and into the higher echelons and be uh, much uh, in high regard with the whole um, community. She treated people with, you know, free of charge for yellow fever, and she would go down to the, the men on death row and spend their final hours there saying prayers with them. So she did a lot of like community work. And when she died, uh, well, it's funny. She was about to pass away, but she really didn't want anyone to see her when she was getting frail. She kind of apparently. Uh, went to be a bit of a recluse hanging out in her uh, her house for the last six years or so. And she had a younger daughter that was her spitting image. So it kind of freaked people out because, like, huh. she was, you know, kind of appeared, and all of a sudden this younger version of herself started walking around the streets, and she was called Mary Laveau II. So there's another younger Mary Laveau walking around the streets. So it kind of added to her lore as her being this, 
you know, uh, eternally youthful uh, voodoo uh, witch queen. Um, and her grave apparently is still quite an attractive site. Uh, people go there uh, often. Uh, you can uh, cast, she can cast a spell for you from beyond the grave. Uh, you're supposed to apparently I, go there. I have there. been there four you, times. Have you been there? Did you do the whole thing? Because this is what I you, heard. Is that you, you can't even now. At, they won't let you. But oh, before really? you, before uh, you were able to do a wish and then take a uh, uh, a brick or something and put an X on the grave. Yeah, and then the thing. Okay, what I had read was, uh, yeah, you you put an X, and then if your wish comes true, you're supposed to come back and you put a circle around the X, so people know about her power, and then you leave an offering to her as thanks. So that was a thing that you can do, but. Right. Uh, I imagine, yeah, it was a small grave. I imagine it got filled up and they had to, they had to stop that. But anyway, very fascinating real life story. If you want, you can look up, there's tons of stuff about her online, but just a very interesting story about a, a woman who, you know, as I said, despite, uh, you know, her color in the particular time that she was, she rose up to the ranks and, and established herself as this, you know, very powerful member of the community. And she's still to this day, they say in New Orleans, you know, people who are like casting dice or about to like play a big poker hand when they lay it down, they scream out, Mary Laveau. So uh, she's still got quite a bit of power in these uh, several hundred, you know, a couple centuries later. So this is a song by Bobby Bear, 1974, about this voodoo queen, Mary Laveau. The most famous of all the voodoo queens that ever existed is uh, Marie Laveau down in Louisiana. A lot of weird, ungodly tales about Marie. She's supposed to have a lot of magic potions and spells and curses. Down in Louisiana where the black trees grow lives a voodoo. started trembling and her eyes started flashing and she went
way to be. There you go. Mary Laveau. Now, as I said, there's there's quite a few uh, interesting ones uh, as far as this like whole swamp witch uh, genre of music, but this was the one that's based on a true story, so I felt uh, I felt the need to represent. What do you got for us, Greg? What I have is an, a very strange one, um, and so uh, now we kind of dip our toe into stuff that truly is extremely um, uh, Halloween-like and and uh, uh, disturbing. This is a song called Strangler in the Night. It is obviously kind of, you know, a parody of or something, you know, something to be associated with Stranger in the Night, which is a big hit for many people, including uh, Frank Sinatra. Um, This was released in March 67. Um, It is the words of Albert DeSalvo, who was also known as the Boston Strangler. Um, He was actually never convicted of being a murderer. He was convicted of of several rapes. and uh, that's what put him in prison for the rest of his life, where he was, oh, I wow. think, he was killed in 1973 uh, in prison. Um, but he was thrown in prison, I believe, in 1967. Um, there was a reporter from a local um, radio station, WEEI, named Dick Levitan. I guess he had ex- mm-hmm. exclusive um, access to DeSalvo to do, you know, to do news reports. And at some point, I don't know how this happened, and I don't know why they agreed to this, but um, the lyrics for Strangler in the Night were called uh, called from the interviews that Levitan did, or an interview he did with DeSalvo after he was arrested. And on the recording, um, Dick Levitan actually says the words of DeSalvo, and they hired some band um, from Massachusetts called The Bugs to do the music for it. Um, so, so this is a very strange piece of history, um, Strangler in the Night, uh, with the words of Albert DeSalvo, recited by um, WEEI radio reporter Dick Levitan. The night may be warm, or it may be cold. I'm a man who needs someone, a woman to hold. I'm a loner with problems, many so small. But small problems in millions is no living ball. I need someone to cling to, to help me to bear these troubles and heartaches that tease, drive, and dare. I don't know a woman, and yet I crave on. My mind tells my body, don't stand there, get one. Then all of a sudden, I'm no longer clean. I'm a mass of wild muscle, a human machine. My body is reckless, my mind unaware. In these moments of madness, I fight, claw, and tear. I'm me again. I've done wrong without knowing and caused so much pain. At last I am captured, no longer to roam. The state penitentiary, 
will now be my home. And the worst thing that happens here in the clink is that you go out of your mind as you start to think. My mind's in a frenzy, my body in fright. And so now I've been labeled strangler in the night. Strangler. One of the weirdest things what? ever committed to vinyl. Strangler that is in the very, night. Very, very weird. Yeah. Yeah. Albert DeSalvo. Saying, hmm? <laughs> it feels like he was doing this as some sort of, maybe after listening to all of his, like, you know, dark uh, recitings of all the things that he did, maybe the guy just felt the urge to do something lighthearted with it. I don't know. That feels, that felt like some sort of strange catharsis. <laughs> I don't know. That is the. Uh, yeah. That is a strange one. Yes, I, I've, well, I, that, I've next, heard about that for many years, and I just wanted to feature it at least once. Go right ahead, sorry. Oh, no worries. Yeah, so I didn't mean to move on too soon. So my, my next one is actually uh, another parody sort of send-up track. Uh, it's called The Exorcism uh, by Tommy Scott and Scotty Lee from 1975. So it's actually it's 75. It's coming a little bit after the time of the original Exorcist movie, of course, was 73. But I mean, it was you know, I mean, made in 73. It took a while, it took off like wildfire by the time, maybe by the time it was uh, uh, that sunk into popular culture. This uh, this song came about. It's a novelty to, uh, tune, private release, so there's really no info on it. I couldn't find anything about uh, Tommy Scott or Scotty Lee. Um, but as I said, The Exorcist was such a huge phenomenon. It was one of the, the first movies to truly scare the pants off of America. And so I thought it might be actually kind of fun before we hear this, just to hear some, uh, I found this clip, it's actual audience reactions from 1973. And some of these are really freaky and some of them are downright hilarious, but this was uh, a bunch of recordings that they did of people who were either waiting in line to see the movie or who had just run out of the theater and couldn't take it anymore. But this is actual audience reactions uh, from the movie The Exorcist in 1973. I thought we could start with that as a nice segue. I'm not going back in there. I have a friend in there alone, and I I, I don't want to leave her in there alone. <laughs> I'm not standing here shaking for nothing. <laughs> How about you? Oh, it's very, very real. I don't like it. I want to go home. I want to see if it's going to make me throw up. <laughs> it's one of the most grossest movies uh-huh. in the world. <laughs> I ain't never took my coat and hit it over my face like that. Uh, I thought it was uh, very powerful. Just turned my mind. Terrible. But I just found it really horrible. We just had to come out. I couldn't take him. People are extremely depressed by this. Yeah, well, that, that's how people reacted to The Exorcist. You don't really even get a feeling, because no, now people are like, yeah, well, whatever. 
Uh, well, that's the thing. And so this was that that was written in 73 and people were, you know, terrified of it. And here two years later and everyone's just kind of making fun of it. So that's what happens with something. Anything that comes out. I remember it was the same thing with Blair Witch Project when it came out. When the movie first came out, everyone was terrified. And then after it was kind of established that it was uh, whatever, people were like, ah, it wasn't that scary. So, so we're about two years down the road from the release of this movie. And then this is what people are saying about exorcisms. This is Tommy Scott and Scotty Lee with Exorcism from 1975. <laughs> Exorciso te omnis, Spiritus Monday, Nomini Dei Patris Omnipotentis. The girl was playing with the Ouija board and got herself in a little too deep. An evil power who was the devil himself took possession one night in her sleep. Nobody knew what was wrong with her, the specialist thought it was nerves, but when she Changed to a ghostly white And her eyes had an evil green glow Her strength was that of an immortal power And her voice was harsh and low But inside of this devil was the soul of a child And on her stomach was written to please In blood red letters from the inside out Were the bleeding words, exercise me Exorciso te omnis spiritus simonde, nomine de patris omnipotentis. Lord God Almighty, help the exorcist to exercise an exorcism. Let the death of Luther King and JFK be a part of a devil's show. Could it be that God's own vacation and the whole world is on death row. Could it be that mighty Lucifer, who was cast from an angel band, be a taking over God's kingdom and a making it a devil's land? Could God be a working on another world? And is that where all the dinosaurs have gone? Suppose the Pope or Billy Graham were seduced to Satan's throne. Would you puke at the smell of burning human flesh as blood is sucked from man? Could you endure the fury of hell with Satan in command? <laughs> Exorcise the exorcism. Exorciso It's over now, and the house show the signs of us power that can't be explained. Now lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord, my soul to get flashy, dazzy, more awake, I pray the Lord, my soul to pain. They exorcise the spirit from her. The devil got the soul of the priest And rather than be a child of Satan He is deceased Deceased The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk He maketh me to lie down in green pastures Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death 
I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to uh, badly segue into uh, this little this little bit of uh, audio here, and I'll explain it here in a minute. I turn that down a little bit. That is actually the sound of somebody being exorcised or maybe descent. Yeah. Um, that is a recording of uh, Annalise Michael, Michelle Michael, uh, from 1976. Um, she was a German Catholic woman who, was, who said, her parents said, and she said, and the church said she was possessed by demons and underwent an exorcism. Two motion pictures, ex- Exorcism of Emily Rose and Requiem, are loosely based on the story. Um, oh, however, wow. Yeah, however, how uh, medical professionals, they're... they're uh, uh, opinion was that she had se- severe psychiatric disturbances from age 16 to her death at age 23 as a direct, well, actually direct or ind- indirect result of the um, of the rich of the exorcism ritual. So basically, yeah. kind of pinged, yeah. pinged back and forth with her thinking she was possessed and the priest thinking she was possessed and going uh, to mm-hmm. the point where she Get like this group, yeah. group psychosis. Yeah. Um, yeah. However, That's many fascinating. yeah, a lot of people believe she actually was possessed by demons, and her gravesite remains a destination for pilgrims to this day. She was uh, twenty. Wow. She was twenty three when she died. Yeah, no, I know the movie did like you know it created a a lot of knowledge around the you know suddenly everyone was very aware of the idea, and I think people became a little paranoid of it. You had that sort of like satanic panic that sort of occurred shortly after that. And people were getting very concerned about uh, people being possessed and, you know, backwards masking and music and all that sort of thing. So this movie kind of launched a whole era in which people were very, very aware and, and, and paranoid of being possessed by demons. Um, It's actually kind of funny too. I remember being, uh, you know, when I was younger, uh, I grew up in a very small town in in, in rural Nova Scotia. And one of my brother's friends, uh, he would do these sort of like Bible camps in the summer and I remember he came back like excitedly, you know, after the summer, they're, they're getting ready for school in September. And he was like all excited because he had seen a, a real life exorcism. And I'm like, we're like, what? Like, that's, that's a thing for movies. He's like, no, no, they brought in this girl and she was possessed and they were trying to do some sort of rites. So it's like, this is like 1990s, uh, you know, in Nova Scotia. And there's still like churches that were like, you know, uh, this person was troubled and they practiced this thing. But he's like, no, she had weird voices. It was just like in the movies. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's something that's uh, left an enduring impact, I think, on the cultural psyche, for sure, mm-hmm. whatever you think of it or not. Um, I'm going to make a little swap here. I think I'm going to skip ahead just to one. I gave you my list, but just because we're in such a creepy realm, I'm going to go right <laughs> into my, my, my twisted Russian lullaby. Oh, I think God, be a this good, is wonderful. Follow-up. Now, I don't know what, how you want to do this here. I, I could just, I could just, we could just play it, and then I'll tell you the lyrics afterwards, because the song itself, it's terribly creepy, um, but it's all done in Russian, of course. But then afterwards, when you hear the lyrics, it's even more disturbing. So, yeah, maybe we'll just play the song and, and tell you the words after. Yeah, okay. So this is a Russian lullaby. Called Tilly Tilly Boom. Tilly Tilly Boom. <laughs> 
Закрой глаза скорее, кто-то ходит за окном и стучится в двери. Ночная птица, он уже пробрался в дом к тем, кому не спится. Settling. Uh, it's very, very creepy sounding. So this, this is the lyrics. Uh, it goes, uh, "Tilly, tilly, boom. Close your eyes quickly. Someone's walking by the window and knocking at the door. Tilly, tilly, boom. Can you hear the birds through the night? He's already made his way into the house for those who cannot sleep. Hear his steps. He is already close. Tilly, tilly, boom. Can you hear someone next to you, huddled in a corner?" With penetrating gaze, tilly tilly boom, the night will muffle everything. He is sneaking up to you. Now he's almost got you. Hear his steps. He's already close. Tilly tilly boom, can you hear someone next to you, huddled in a corner with a penetrating gaze? So this is a Russian lullaby. This is what you send to your children to uh, to get them to go to sleep. The faster you fall asleep, the less chance that this scary creature is going to sneak up on you and massacre you. But this is a, this is the conundrum with this piece. So I, I heard it and I was like, this is amazing. I have to play it, try to do some research on it. And there's not much to be found. Now that could be one of two reasons. One is that, you know, as I said, Russian internet, they have their own kind of thing and there's not a lot kind of shared and the lost in translation thing. I'm searching in English. Of course, that's a possibility. However, uh, I've found one article and this guy really tried to, uh, to do his scouring and he said that, you know, the closest he could trace it back to was 2007 and then there's really nothing after that. And in 2007, this was featured on a soundtrack to a Russian horror film called Trackman. Uh, it's a movie about a, uh, a bank heist in Russia that turns deadly when the robbers and their hostages flee to the abandoned underground subway station and they, there they encounter Trackman, who is a deformed madman that prowls around in the darkness along the railroad tracks. 
So it's very possible that this is what they call uh, an internet term, the, uh, a piece of creepypasta, uh, much like Slenderman, a, a piece of like, you know, creepy lore that actually, you know, was birthed on the internet. Um, uh, whether or not it's an official Russian lullaby, and, and Lord knows some official lullabies, both in English and many very other languages, uh, can be very, very creepy. Uh, one way or the other, it's just a great track. I, I, I was happy to share it with you guys. The, the, the song was creepy, but the words just, yeah, yeah. nail in the coffin. No yes. pun intended. Thank you for reading them that way. I mean, it, it, you read them just right. I was I was getting the creeps. It was wonderful. Uh, <laughs> another piece of film yeah. lore. Um, the 1950... Which one are you going for here? Let's see. Oh, yeah, I, the, 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 um, the, the one for... Um, for uh, 1956... Was the was the was the film Bad Seed, which I think did I tell you about Bad Seed at one point? Are you kidding me? You turned me on to that. It's one of my favorite things on earth. <laughs> Leroy. Yeah, the ba- Bad I, Seed was a film, I, I, 1956, 1958 film. I'm sorry, 1956 mm-hmm. film based based on a play and novel of the same name. I think the novel came out like in 1954, just a couple mm-hmm. years before, and it was um, the story of a little girl who. Um, they find out that she's killed one of her classmates who won like a spelling contest or something and got a medal. So she kills well, him. Like- they, they don't really know. Yeah. That's the whole crux. Did she, yeah. didn't she? She's, she's one of the first truly evil children of, of cinema history. Like children had always been these sort of like wonderful, wholesome characters. And this, I think this movie creeped the heck out of America because <laughs> like, it, she, she wasn't just she wasn't just kind of bad like she reveled in it. Patty McCormick just is yeah. legend. It's, she, it's she, such an she, amazing performance. She killed it literally <laughs> in <Yeah>. the film. In <laughs> she fact, killed it. Killed it. I wanted to play. But then, I, of course, yeah, she she, she knows very much what she's done, and she's sort of like you know uh, I think this is based on the the custodian. He's the custodian of the house. This Leroy character, yes. who knows kind of, he knows what she is. But uh, and he's kind of trying to warn the family what to do with it because uh, he's also a psycho. So mm-hmm. he, he knows his own. Yeah. Um, and so he, you know, he 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 sees this child. He's like, I see you. But she's like, oh, really? Because uh, uh, she uh, she's a little crazier than he is. Yeah. And so she's actually this this pint sized little uh, terrorist uh, <laughs> who is like threatening this full grown man um, who is uh, yeah he's threatening to turn in evidence. He's like, there might be wet blood on her shoes because she had uh, committed this murder and he was going to, I don't know. Anyway, it's been a while since I've seen the film. But anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, that, that and then they find out she was adopted and the and her, her father may have been a serial killer. So there's this whole that. And mm-hmm. then at the end of the film, they bring all the cast out for like a curtain call, which they never do in films, just to keep people from getting too upset by it. And the last shot in the film yeah. is her being spanked by her mother in the film. <laughs> You know, with, no, with, with gets, silly music quite playing. At the time. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to play a couple of pieces of the the film just so people could hear oh. what they're referring to in, in the Fibonacci's uh, version. And the Fibonacci's are my favorite yeah, band. Have, they're from Los. They were from Los to, Angeles. The, all the members except one are still alive. And I've actually uh, uh, actually communicate with a few of them. I'm trying to get them to reform and do another show. They did one like two years ago, and I I did video of it. I, I shot video with. Uh, with, uh, I saw it was incredible. Yeah. yeah. No, they're they're a fabulous band. I I would love to see a re- reformation of that. Yeah. They yeah, actually do you have did, the, with, yeah, huh? the famous line, the uh, give me back those shoes. Yes, here we go. <laughs> Let's see if you can here, here we go. This is um Patty McCormick. Then he left to put you in the electric chair. Here she give goes. Me 
those shoes back? Oh, no, I got hid where no bottom of me can find them. You better give me those shoes. They're mine. Give them back to me. <laughs> I ain't giving them shoes back to nobody. You better give them back to me, Leroy. I'm keeping them shoes. <laughs> So that's part of the song. The other part, of, they they pulled a few lines from. I I just I just heard these recently. You know, when I was looking through um, YouTube for some clips, and I found uh, some of these clips that are actually used in the song. So here's another few seconds of this, and then I'll play the Fibonacci's. I told him to, that's all. <laughs> so then he ran away from me and hid on the wharf. But I found him there, and I told him I did it with my shoe if he didn't give me the medal. He shook his head and said no. So I hit him the first time, then he took off the medal and gave it to me. And then what happened? He tried to run away from me. So I hit him with my shoe again! But he kept on crying and making a noise. And I was afraid somebody would hear him, so I kept on hitting him, mother! Oh, she's great. God damn. Here's Leroy. Like, it's so good. Yeah. That is an amazing performance for that age. Shoes! 
Mommy, I set the matches. I set the furnace room on fire and locked Leroy in. It wasn't my fault, Mommy. It was Leroy's fault. He shouldn't have said that he'd tell the police on me and give them my shoes. Fibonacci's with Leroy, based on the film, the 1956 Love. film um, Bad Seed. They're also um, one of my constant Halloween uh, playlists on my vinyl collection. I have the uh, soundtrack to Terror Vision. Yes. They did the uh, entire that oh, every year. The cover alone, it just it makes my display. Uh, I, I have to put it up just for everyone to see, but they have got some excellent, creepy, awesome uh, music. And yeah, yeah, they played Terror Vision a couple years ago. Me. They played it at their um, reunion thing for you know when they played that one show. When they started playing it, I just about I, I just about fell down. Oh, I can't uh, believe they were. Playing. I hope to catch it one day. If, if, if they do get back together, I'm flying out there just to hang out with you to see that show. I'm not missing that. <laughs> okay. So for my next one, uh, this is actually just a. I was gonna. I was toying when to put this in because I was gonna throw it in during the '60s because that's I guess when the clip would have been from. But really, this particular version of it was made in the, in the circa 1990s. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Vincent Price and I love his movies. But I'm also I'm quite fond of his uh, his cookery. Yes. He was a total foodie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that like uh, actually I was just telling a friend of mine the other day she was unaware of. Um, but yeah, him and his wife they published a, uh, a cookbook in '65 called the treasury of great recipes that uh, puppy is uh, going online uh, i think it, it can fetch anywhere from like 200 300 dollars us online uh i was trying to get myself a copy and i was very dismayed but they, they actually did do a 50th anniversary uh, reprint mm. in 2005 that you can get um and it's just like you know it's a collection of his uh, various recipes he did a lot of like radio show appearances too and just uh, talking about his various recipes that he likes to cook and there's he, he just had that voice you know, like yeah. there's just something, nothing more delightful than listening to Vincent Price talk about anything, but especially about food. One of my favorite <laughs> ones he does some recipe and it has to do, I forget what the actual recipe was, but at one point he just says minced gherkins. And it's just like listening to Vincent Price say the words minced gherkins is just like one of my favorite small delights <laughs> on this planet in this existence. Um, so, yes, yeah, so this is a, a recipe uh, that uh, Vincent Price did, and, and this uh, lady, April Winchell, has actually taken it upon herself to cut it up with some uh, other um, audio recordings that he did. Um, April Winchell, uh, she was uh, a daughter of a famous ventriloquist and comedian and voice actor, Paul Winchell, yeah. and she went on to become a famous voice actress herself. She's done dozens of movies uh, for anima- various animated series, done a lot of work with uh, Disney. And, and she also worked with the Fox she was a radio personality, and, and you have to check this out. If you haven't seen it, Greg, uh, AprilWinchell.com, she has this massive archive yes. of just musical audio oddities. It's just yes, absolutely the sort I of have. stuff that we like to post on our, yeah, on our audio curio uh, group. So I, everything I from, like, foreign language versions yeah. of songs. Mm-hmm. She has, like, uh, about 20 different covers of just the Nirvana hit Smells Like Teen Spirit alone in, like, various languages or various, like, terrible or wonderful covers. Yep. She's got categories of, like, uh, celebrities who insisted on singing, songs about insanity, and my personal favorite, Those Darn Homos. So, uh, yeah, she's got a, quite, quite a bit of amusing uh, material on there, as well as some of her father's own original material. But this was something that she made herself, I believe, for one of her uh, radio shows. So there's no precise date on it. I'm, I'm guessing somewhere in the 90s. Uh, but she took some sort of recipe and paired it with another thing, and we ended up with Vincent Price and How to Cook a Small Boy. 
delicious. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Vincent Price. If I am feeling particularly ambitious, I make a real curry plus all the side dishes. Many curries are made with meats on the bone, but for my guests, I only want to serve small boys. I like to look around for some really exotic and very hot ones. <laughs> That's the way my wife likes them. I then skin the boys and take all of the meat from the bone. The easy way is to stab them one at a time with a fork and heat them over a gas flame on the stove until the skin bursts. It then peels right off. <laughs> what fun. To make the curry itself is child's play. A very simple but a very elegant dish. Nothing makes a more exotic party. I generally lower all the lights and burn a little child to help create a mood. <laughs> and then I have sitar records and put them on the stereo, and that helps tremendously. Candles winking everywhere are very romantic. The visual display of the curry, all the condiments, and the boys is really spectacular. This meal depends on you to create a mood, so be daring. Use a different tablecloth or a brilliant remnant of material. Pull out all the brass and copper you can find. Wear dangling earrings and a draped sari if you have it and every bracelet you can find. Your guests will talk about this dinner party for weeks. I bet they will. <laughs> Priceless. Yeah. Anything, anything with the, yeah, any, <laughs> anything, anything with Vincent, Vincent Price is priceless. I'm going to champion another Los Angeles band who who uh, also broke up a while ago. The Centimeters. I didn't write anything down about them. They were active from about uh, probably the late '80s to the mid or late '90s, or no, probably early early aughts. Um, I saw. I was privileged to see them play a couple of times. The uh, singer, one of one of the singers, Greg Gomberg. I think he's. Um, He's disappeared. I see him occasionally around town. Nora Keys um, is the other singer. Oh, she, I love. Yeah, I love Nora Keys. You yeah. sent me some of her stuff. She is next level. <laughs> yeah, she has uh, recently. She's been in uh, a couple of projects with Don Bowles. One of the band. One of the projects was called Shiny Space People, and they all would dress in like <laughs> they all dress in shiny leotards. However, this was her band, the Centimeters, um, from the nineteen ninety. Oh, I got to go back to my list. The 1999 album, we're already at 1999, mm -hmm. German Verbs. Uh, this song is I Want a Dead One, which is perfect for this show.
That's such a lovely song. Oh, really? It's just chills. Total feels every time. <laughs> <laughs> Your no, turn. Exactly. I, 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 yeah. I'm only like half joking. It's, it's, it's totally, absolutely the, the type of song. I'm like, yeah, no, that's, give me a boy with pale skin and dark mascara and black nail polish any day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a niche thing. What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, my uh, closing song, I thought I'd leave us off with something. Actually, this hasn't been released yet. There's mm-hmm. been some teasers that have come out, but uh, when I heard this song, I was like, oh, okay, we're going to have to do another Halloween show because I have to play this song for everybody. So this is a band called Beanpole. Uh, it was actually a band from the circa 1980s and 90s uh, formed by members of Primus. You had one, Les Claypool, uh, and, and Larry the Lone from Primus. And they teamed up with some members of this band called Spent Poets, Derek Greenberg and Adam Gates. And so they were active on the scene from about 84 to 99. Um, and they were just like, you know, trying to do this like very free form thing. Um, well, I, I have a quote here from uh, Lalonde himself. He's like, to get a vibe recording of a, ve- a beanpole song, you have to place yourself in a secluded farm valley full of mutant hillbillies trying to recreate melodies that were found on a broken record of a Disney, uh, Disneyland ride music. The idea behind Beanpole was to give musicians a chance to have fun in the studio without the pressure of having to produce tracks that were commercially viable. So the musicians were encouraged to perform with instruments they had not mastered. They were never given the opportunity to learn the parts, uh, and then the record button was pressed. So since the musicians uh, knew they could not provide a polished performance, they were uninhibited, and they needed to demonstrate anything other than a modicum of of confidence. So mistakes were encouraged. Proper recordings and mixing techniques were generally ignored. Uh, So that's just like a fabulous idea as a concept, but when the actual thing was sat down and they they actually recorded the thing, apparently it was so weird that Mammoth just dropped the band and the project entirely. Uh, So then they had this uh, album that they were trying to make and it it got dropped for being so strange. Um, And fast forward to, uh, uh, well, I think it was about uh, 2006, 2007. That's about the time when um, Les Claypool uh, teamed up with John Lennon's uh, son, talented musician of his own right, Sean Lennon, uh, and they formed the Lennon-Claypool Delirium, which I highly recommend. Such an uh, excellent collaboration. Uh, but, of course, there were those two hanging out. Um, eventually, uh, he had heard uh, you know, wind of this particular project and wanted to hear it. And I have to read you this one more quote here. This is uh, Lennon telling uh, very cryptically of the, uh, the time that he heard uh, this particular project. So this is a quote from Sean Lennon. I'll never forget. It was a crepuscular hour, somewhere between the gloaming and twilight. Les summoned me to the bus urgently. Shiner, he said to me, I want you to take a listen to something. And I need you to listen up real carefully. You hear me? What I'm fixing to play you has never been neared from an old Shiner before like this. 
At that moment, the bus began to rumble, and I was sidestruck by the most tremendous cacophony I had ever heard before in my life. What in Tracy Lord's name is happening to my ear holes, I whimpered. <laughs> that cried less over the wind and thunder. That is called beanpole. <laughs> so this is beanpole from the uh, circa 80s, 90s, but being re-released this year in 2018. Pumpkin picking time.
what the hell was that? (laughs) (laughs) It was wonderful was what it was. You're welcome. (laughs) No, as I said, I'm a big fan of Les. I'm a big fan of uh, the the Claypool Delirium. And I'm so glad that uh, Sean Lennon has taken it upon himself to unearth this gorgeous gem and uh, bring it to the world because it definitely deserves to be heard. Mm -hmm. I will play out one song and we'll describe it here in a second. But Courtney, thanks so much. You're a total pro and I think we're going to have to do, (laughs) we got to do a Christmas show, definitely, like we did last year. And, I um, think so. Tradition. Yeah. <laughs> As is tradition. We went a little long with this one, but it's Halloween, which is, I told you, you know, in previous years, this is this is my Christmas, so it feels good to, to let all the spookiness out. But, it always yeah. has been. No, I'd be down for shorter format shows. We've got lots of ideas, lots of things we could explore. Yeah. I'm going to um, finish the show with uh, something that I thought was pretty appropriate. The Shags, one of the worst bands ever. Best worst bands. Huh? <laughs> One of the best worst bands. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Respect, um, respect, respect to. Yeah. From, I, I believe it was it Zappa that even said that they were they might have been like at, like you know absolutely per, like one of the best most perfect. I don't know. He he was quite a fan. I, there, yeah. There's just something marvelous about the, the, how positively uncoordinated it is. Yeah. The the quote they always use and is on the back of the re-release is um, uh, better than the Beatles even today. <laughs> that was from Zappa. <laughs> Um, and modest too. Yes, the band was composed of three real life <laughs> sisters, Helen, Betty, and Dorothy, or Dot Wiggin, from Fremont, New Hampshire. They were managed by their father, Austin Wiggin Jr., and sometimes accompanied Ooh. by another sister, Rachel. They performed almost exclusively at Fremont Town Hall and local nursing home, beginning in 1968 and ending in 1973. Although most people in town just thought they were terrible, their father believed his girls were going to be stars. And in 1969, <laughs> he took most of his savings and paid to record an album of their music. He drove down to a studio in Massachusetts, uh, determined to get them on tape while they were, quote, still hot. <laughs> <laughs> He struck a deal with a local fly-by-night record company called Third World Recordings. They recorded their d- debut album in one day, surprisingly enough. Um, recording a really? dozen, yeah, 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 <laughs> just like the first Beatles album. See, recording a dozen huh? tunes, all written by Dot uh, Dorothy Wiggin. Nine hundred of the first thousand copies of the album were vanished out of the warehouse. And shortly thereafter, the record company's producer uh, slash president also vanished, and the way label quickly folded. By the mid-70s, a ra- radio station in Boston started trying playing a few cuts from the rep- record, and their popularity returned. Further renewed in 78, when um, independent music band NRBQ listened in, bought a copy, sought out a copy, and had it released in 1980 on uh, uh, the Rounder Records label. Later, Dr. Demento, our hero, um, American mm-hmm. radio broadcaster and record collector, began to play the album almost exclusively on his radio show nation- Nationwide around Halloween when he would trip play the track it's Halloween which we're going to play here uh, thanks again well happy me. Halloween yes oh thank you always a pleasure
Why even Dracula will be there? It's time for games, it's time for fun, not for just one, but for everyone. The Dracula is the ball it up. All the dummies are made and stuff. By just looking, you will see. It's a time of year again. It's Halloween, it's Halloween. All the kids are happy and gay. There doesn't seem to be a crowd.